Fighting for the Faith is listener-supported. That means we truly depend on you in order to bring this resource to you. If you don't already support us financially, you could do so. Visit our website, fightingforthefaith.com. You'll see our three friendly yellow buttons there. One says donate. The other says join our crew. The other says become a patron. Click on one of them and fill that out. If you'd like to support us the traditional way, you can make your gift payable to Fighting for the Faith and send it to Post Office Box 13344, Grand Forks, North Dakota, zip code 58208. And let me thank you for your support. We truly cannot do what we are doing here without it. It's time for another edition of Fighting for the Faith. Thursday, May 2nd, 2019. Tuning in, you're listening to Fighting for the Faith. My name is Chris Rosebro. I am your servant in Jesus Christ, and this is the program that dishes up a daily dose of biblical discernment, the goal of which help you to think biblically, help you to think critically, and help you to slow down. Stop, open up your Bible, and compare. Compare what people are saying in the name of God to the Word of God. Sadly, there is no shortage of crazy things being said out there, and we take the time to open up God's Word to compare and contrast with the most popular pastors, preachers, teachers, conference speakers, self-proclaimed prophets, prophetesses, self-appointed apostles, and apostolettes, and those generally put forward by the evangelical industrial complex as those whom we need to be listening to, whose books apparently we need to be buying, and whose small group curricula we should be studying instead of the Word of God. Yeah, weird how that works. Over and again, we demonstrate that the steady diet of doctrine that is put forward, that's teaching, put forward for consumption, by the average evangelical is far from biblical, far from what God's Word says. There's a whole lot of Bible twisting and deception going on out there, and we are trying to save you an eternity of misery is the best way we can put it. <sighs> All right, so let's talk about, uh, you know, let's actually talk about some house cleaning things real quick here. Yes, we are still having our worst Easter sermon of the year contest. We will begin that the week of May 13th. The week of May 13th is when our worst Easter sermon of the year contest will begin. So if you would like to submit, uh, contestants to be considered for this year's Worst Easter Sermon of the Year contest, please send them along to talkback at fightingforthefaith.com and include in the subject line Worst Easter Sermon Contest somewhere in the subject because it makes it easier for me to find those. And yes, we do sample every single entry every single year. It's a form of self-torture that I engage in. And then also want to remind everybody, that uh you know save the date at this point august 9th and 10th in swansea in the united kingdom will be this year's pirate christian radio conference and it is free that's right you can attend 
for free. We will not be charging anyone for admission. We will not be taking an offering. Nothing like that. It'll be a free event. Myself, Pastor Jervis, Nicholas, Edward Charmley, Carrie Ferguson, those are the slated speakers, and we have others that I'm working on who we will have in attendance as well. And it'll be just two days of good lectures, good teaching, time for you to you know meet me, uh, meet Pastor Charmley, meet Carrie Ferguson, uh, talk with some of the people who work with uh, Pirate Christian Media, and uh, and it'll just be a, a, a great time for all is basically the way I look at it. And that's the purpose of our conferences. It'll be limited to the first 150 registrants. And uh, so if you want to attend our free conference and come and hang out with us, you are welcome to, but you must register so that we can get a proper headcount for repre- refreshments and things like that during the, um, the during the breaks. So all of that information will be available online shortly. So stay tuned is the best way I can put it. Uh, you know, we will be putting up a website where you'll be able to register. But for right now, just reserve the date, start making plans, you know, make your hotel reservations, flight reservations, train reservations, boat reservations. However, you are going to get here, even a skateboard or a mount, you know, or some kind of a sea do or something like that. That'll work because you, you can approach Swansea from land or sea. But, uh, you know, make them, you know, start setting the date now. All right, all of that being said, let's talk about what we're going to do on today's installment of Fighting for the Faith. We have two segments today. First one is an NAR update. We're going to be heading down to the Trinity Church as we listen to Robert Madieu, uh talk about, <laughs> about the importance of hearing the voice of God. And the name of his message is titled, If These Ears Could Talk. Yeah, I'm, I'm not making that up. So he engages in some pseudo-profundity along the way. And this will be a great example of t- completely twisting God's Word to make it say something it doesn't in order to put pressure on you to hear the voice of God when nowhere are you taught that you need to listen, you know, to learn how to hear the voice of God. He'll even make some weird historically false claims regarding the Pharisees and others. Uh, we'll, we'll tackle that. We'll take a break, and then when we come back uh, from the break, we're going to be heading down to Vu's church as we listen to Don Cherie Wilkerson not only teaching Gnosticism, but some just strange teaching about self-discovery and things like that. And uh, we'll clean up her Bible twisting along the way, which will include quoting from the so-called Passion Translation. Passion Translation. So that will be today's episode of Fighting for the Faith. Strongly recommend you make yourself comfortable. We've got a lot of ground that we need to cover. And since we're going to begin with a new Apostolic Reformation update, let's do this. Chief, what do you want to do tonight? The same thing we do every night, Pinky. Try to take over the world. The Pinky and the Brain. Yes, Pinky and the Brain. One is a genius, the other's insane. The laboratory mice, the genes have been sliced. They're Pinky, they're Pinky and the Brain. Brain, 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 brain. Before each night is done, their plan will be unfurled. By the dawning of the sun, they'll take over the world. They're Pinky and the Brain, yes, Pinky and the Brain. Their twilight campaign is easy to explain. To prove their mousy worth, they'll overthrow the earth. They're Pinky, they're Pinky and the Brain, 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 Brain. brain. 
All right, so we're heading over to the Trinity Church. This is where Cindy Jacobs uh, attends church and where every year she announces her uh, word of the Lord for whatever the year is, you know, from the New Apostolic Council of Prophetic Elders. And uh, Robert Madu is one of the up-and-comers within the NAR, and uh, he gets a lot of speaking engagements around the country and the world, and uh, his home base is there at the Trinity Church. And Robert Madu, like I said, he's going to be engaging in pseudo-profundity. He will be twisting God's Word up horribly and even engaging in false history regarding the Pharisees. It's, this is just a, a barn burner of a train wreck. It's a barn wreck. <laughs> slow. It's a slow motion barn wreck is the best way I could put it. So uh, let's get to it. Here is Robert Madu and his message, If These Ears Could Talk. Mark chapter 7, start on verse 31. We'll land in verse 37. When you're ready to read it, say, yeah. yeah. Need some time to find it, say, hold up. That was a, <laughs> that was a faint hold up in the back. Look at what it says. It says, then Jesus left the vicinity of Tyre and went through Sidon down to the Sea of Galilee and into the region of the Decapolis. There some people brought to him a man who was deaf and could hardly talk. Would you say deaf? Oh, come on. Say it like you would want him to hear you. Say deaf. And you're probably wondering what this is all about, you know, where, you know, the guy read part, reads part of a passage and then says, now say the word deaf. Deaf. Now say it like you mean it. Deaf. Yeah, well, there, there's a, there's, this is a psychological manipulation technique. The idea here is, is that each and every one of us has some defense mechanisms set up. And so if somebody t- gives you a command and then you obey it, then what happens is your internal warning system goes from you know defcon 5 to defcon 2 and down below the idea here is it turns off critical thinking because well if the guy's giving you orders and you're obeying those orders well then you know there's nothing to you know be afraid of right so that's that's what the manipulation technique is about yeah he, he couldn't hear you he was deaf. Right. Deaf people generally do not hear others. Something I've noticed about them. And he could hardly talk. Would you say hardly talk? And they begged Jesus. They begged Jesus to place his hand on him. After he took him aside away from the crowd, Jesus put his fingers into the man's ears. Then he... <clears throat> Just read the text. <laughs> He spit and touched the man's tongue. Nasty. It is what it is. Uh huh. Looked up to heaven with a deep sigh and said to him, Epitha, which means be open. At this, the man's ears were open, his tongue was loosened, he began to speak plainly. Jesus commanded them not to tell anyone. But the more he did so, the more they kept talking about it. I bet they did. People were overwhelmed with amazement. He has done everything well, they said. He even makes the deaf hear and the mute speak. Can you say amen? Men, tonight, I want to talk to you, and I don't think I preach. Just Just want to talk tonight. Using this as a title, if these ears could talk. Okay, yeah. 
The ears generally don't talk. And so you'll note he's read out a text. That's that's good. You should be reading out a text before you preach or teach so that you have a basis from which you're preaching and teaching. But the goal then is to help somebody rightly understand the true sense of the text, the true meaning of the passage. God is communicating something here to us through this text. And so where he's going to go from here isn't really jiving with what he just did. You'll you'll see that. So he reads the text. He then ends with pseudo-profundity. Oh, if these ears could talk. Woo! Yeah. Um, <laughs> we continue. Now get ready. A hard left here because what comes up next doesn't seem to be connected at all, meaning-wise, with what he just read from the Gospel of Mark. If these ears can talk. Strange title, but that's a strange text with Jesus spitting on people. If these... That's not what happened. Ears can talk. Look at the brother next to you. Get in his face. Get in his personal space and say, Brother... I wonder. Here we go again. This is all part of the, you know, he gives a command, you obey, internal warning system goes down. What your ears would say, if your ears could talk. Well, come on, give God a hand clap of praise and you can take your seat. If What are we giving God a hand clap of praise for exactly? You coming up with the... Weird, pseudo-profound title like If These Ears Could Talk. Give God a praise for that, would y'all? These ears could talk. Brothers and brothers, the not-too-distant past, I was at the place that has become my second home, and that is Dallas-Fort Worth Airport. And, uh, All right, so you'll notice now we're steering into autobiographical data. Regarding Robert Madu. So the life story is going to be a vital thing here. And of course, my question is, what on earth does this have to do with Mark chapter 7? I was getting ready to take off for a flight. and decided to grab the magazine in the seat in front of me just to take my mind off of the flight. I'm perusing through this magazine. All of a sudden... My attention was arrested by the title of an article in the magazine. The title of the article said, What happened when my pilot passed out? (laughs) Brothers, I don't know if I told you, I'm on the plane. (laughs) Getting ready to take off. (laughs) The, the, The article went in detail to talk about a man, a man who had just acquired his own private plane. And after acquiring this plane, he thought of nothing better to do than to call up one of his good buddies and just take him out on a flight. So here these two men take off on the runway, suspended in the stratosphere, chillaxing in the atmosphere. (laughs) Chillaxing in the atmosphere is kind of NAR code speak for something different than flying. Weird how he's kind of come up with these strange double entendres. When little did they know, tragedy was about to strike. So So just keep asking yourself, what does this have to do with the fact that Jesus opened the ears of a man who was deaf? 
several thousand feet above sea level, their worst nightmare was about to occur. Because this pilot was a severe diabetic. And in the hustle and the bustle and the excitement of getting ready for the flight, he completely forgot to pack his insulin. As the men are suspended in the air, all of a sudden this pilot starts shaking profusely. All of a sudden his eyes start rolling in the back of his head. He starts sweating and his friend looks at him and says, man, are you okay? And he starts shaking more violently and ultimately passes out in the pilot seat of this plane. This friend did what any of us would do. He was nervous. He was panicking. He's like, man, are you okay? Are you okay? He started shaking his friend and saying, wake up, wake up, wake up, wake up. But there was no response at all. This man was completely passed out in the pilot seat of this plane. This friend frantically went to the back of the plane and he tried to find a first aid kit or something, but this friend was completely unresponsive and the man got nervous because he could feel the plane starting to descend and he grabs the radio and starts shouting out, Mayday, Mayday, please, please, somebody help me, somebody help, is there anybody out there? He sat and waited for a response. There was no response at all and seconds turned to minutes and minutes turned to several minutes and all of a sudden, the cold fear began to grip his heart that his last moments were going to be on that plane. He went back to his friend and said, wake up, wake up, wake up. He still wouldn't get off. But all of a sudden, faintly, he hears on the radio a voice saying, hello, I hear you. He said, yes, 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 please, please, somebody help me, somebody help me. The voice said, sir, are you a pilot? He said, no, I'm not a pilot. I'm, I'm just a passenger. My, my friend, he passed out. But please, please, you got to help. Great delivery, by the way. I mean, this guy is a very skilled communicator. It's just that he's not a skilled biblical exegete because this story has nothing, and I mean nothing, to do with Mark chapter 7. Hmm. Help me, the plane's going down. The voice from the control tower says, sir, I need you to calm down. I can see your exact location. If you will calm down and listen to me, I will show you how to land this plane. Brothers, how many know the next moments in that man's life were critical? How many know he didn't say, oh, you sure you want me to push this button? Because I'd rather push this button over here. No, he was completely submitted to that voice. In fact, the article... Completely submitted to that voice. Again, notice the <clears throat> NAR, Christianese buzz phrases that are woven into the story. Uh-huh concluded saying that man landed that plane with ease and perfection simply because he obeyed the instructions of a voice that he could hear but could not see ah. yeah <laughs> well you know those pseudo profundities man Whoop! just that was just amazing you see he he hangs it out there. Look how amazing I am and how I can draw these connections. This has nothing to do with Mark chapter 7. Brothers, I share that story with you tonight because I think that story is a lot like life and a lot like manhood. Because I don't care whether you are 8 or 80 in here tonight, nobody in here is an expert on life. Nobody in here is an expert on manhood. They don't hand you a syllabus when you become a man. Notice this is a men's group that he's 
preaching and teaching. Say, this is what you got to do. And as I said this morning, life can hit you with some uncertainty. Life can hit you with some stuff that you did not see coming. And I came to tell you tonight, you better learn how to grab a radio called prayer and start crying out to God saying, mayday, mayday, mayday. God, I'm about to crash my life. Show me how to be the man of God you've called me to be. Show me how to be the husband you've called me to be. You better cry out to God and wait to hear his voice. Now, this is where we're going to take a look at passage number one, actually one and two of scripture on the concept of sola scriptura, because here he's saying that we need to pray, God, I'm going to crash my life. Show me how to be a good husband and things like this. Now, being a good husband falls under the category of a good work. This is exactly what scripture teaches us. Things like this are addressed in Scripture. But to kind of talk about authority of Scripture, we're going to work first and foremost with some words that Jesus gives. You're all familiar with the passage of Scripture called the Great Commission. The Great Commission. Jesus says something there that's very important as it relates to the voice of God, if you would, and where you know where we are to trust that we are hearing God's word and hearing his voice and where we shouldn't, yeah, things like that. So here's what Jesus says in Matthew 28, 18. And Jesus came and said to them, them being his disciples, all authority in heaven on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and then note, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded. Te- teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. Hmm. So, as far as being a disciple of Jesus Christ, what gets put forward in front of us as disciples is all that Christ has commanded. Now that just begs the question. And the question is this, where can I go today? today to hear what all that Christ has commanded, all that Christ has taught. You know, as a disciple of Jesus Christ, where can I go and know with certainty that what I am being taught is what Christ has commanded? Answer, well, Jesus said to his disciples, the one who hears you hears me. The one who hears you, hears me. This is what Jesus said to his disciples who became the apostles. And so, where can I go today? Where can I? Let me think about this. To find, you know, to find those, all the things that Christ has commanded. Oh, I know. It, it, that would be the Bible. Mm-hmm. Now, you're thinking, well, didn't the disciples only write the New Testament? Yes. So you'll note then that that everything is built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, prophets being the Old Testament authors. And, and Jesus affirms that what the Old Testament authors wrote is the Word of God. Um, you know, every portion of the Tanakh, that's the Old Testament as we know it, is quoted from Christ as being authoritative, as being God-breathed, as being the very Word of God. So we know that. So Jesus being God, we can go to the Old Testament and know with certainty we're hearing the voice of God. And then the question is, where can I go to find what the apostles, Jesus' apostles, the ones he sent, where can I go to find what they've written 
because Jesus wrote didn't write any books. He didn't write anything while he was he didn't have a publishing deal with Simon and Schuster or anything like that. No, everything that he taught and did and said, it's all recorded for us by the eyewitnesses. So that being the case, next passage of scripture. You think of somebody like the Apostle Paul warning us about the treachery of the last days, which we find ourselves in. He says, understand this, that in the last days there will come times of difficulty. People will be lovers of self, narcissists. This is, you know, this is a rise of narcissism, an epidemic of, of it in our society. And you'll note that this is exactly what the Apostle Paul prophesied under the Holy Spirit. They will be lovers of money. They will be proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, uh, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Yeah, that sounds like a great description, right? Um, having the appearance of godliness but denying its power. So this is what's going to happen. This is going to be visibly manifesting within, of all places, the visible church, which makes no sense because Christians are penitent sinners who bear the fruit of the Spirit. These people sound like the opposite of it. So they're like apostates. They're not, they have a form of godliness, but they deny the power of it. And Paul says, avoid such people. And uh, for, for among them are those who creep into households, capture weak women, burdened with sins and led astray by various passions, always learning, never able to arrive at a knowledge of the truth, just as Janus and Jambres opposed Moses. By the way, Janus and Jambres, it doesn't say it in the Old Testament, but here uh, this is an affirmation of this information. Janus and Jambres were sorcerers who worked for Pharaoh. Uh, you know, when, Fer- when Moses went... And you know, confronted Pharaoh, and then he had his uh, staff turn into a serpent. Uh, it was Janus and Jambres who also made their staffs turn into serpents. So, just as Janus and Jambres opposed Moses, so these men also opposed the truth. They are corrupted in mind, disqualified regarding the faith, but they will not get very far, for their folly will be plain to all, as was that of those two men. But you, however, so we Christians. And here specifically, talking to pastors, in particular Pastor Timothy here in Ephesus, says, you, however, have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, my persecutions and sufferings that happened to me at Antioch, at Iconium and Lystra, which persecutions I endured, yet from them all the Lord rescued me. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ will be persecuted. That's a promise. It's a, <laughs> if it hasn't happened to you yet, just give it time. While evil people and imposters will go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. But as for you, now watch where his emphasis is. As for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it, and how from childhood you've been acquainted with the sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. Now here's... The note. So you'll note, he's pointing him to the sacred scriptures. Paul, as he's getting ready to die, is not pointing people to their heart, saying, you need to learn how to hear the audible voice of God. He's saying, no, pay attention to the sacred scriptures, to the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation. And then here's the best part. All scripture is theonoustos. It is breathed out 
by God. This is why Hebrews says that the word of God is living and active and sharper than any double-edged sword. All scriptures breathe out by God and is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete uh-huh, and equipped for every, all, every good work. There is no good work that God would prepare you for, including being a good husband, being a good wife, being a good child, a good employer, a good employee, a good government official. Name the, the vocation where you're doing your good works. God's word, the written word of God, all scripture, it will train you and equip you for every good work. Notice it doesn't say some. Some good works, you're going to have to hear the voice of God. No, every, every good work that you would do as a Christian is going to, you're going to be equipped by the written word of God. And that's what the Apostle Paul is saying at the end of his life. So keep that in mind as we come back to Robert Madu, as he's saying that we need to get on the radio, the voice of prayer and say, mayday, mayday, I'm going to crash. Now, granted, we as Christians need to pray, but watch where he goes next with this. It is the subject of hearing the voice of God that I really felt impressed to talk about you tonight. So notice, I'm going to back this up. Another form of manipulation. It's, it's the subject of hearing the voice of God that I felt impressed to talk to you about tonight. Well, that has nothing to do with Jesus giving the ability for a deaf man to hear. You see, you notice Mark chapter 7. Why did he even read it? Because what he feels impressed. And by the way, when somebody says, I felt in my heart that God is telling me that I need to tell you such and such a message, that person is claiming to hear directly from God. So if you are opposing or questioning what he's saying, well, the person you're opposing and questioning is not Robert Madu, it's. God himself. I mean, because God laid it on his heart, so who are you to challenge God? Yeah, notice the, the severe manipulation that goes on when, you, when people talk like this. It is this subject of hearing the voice of God that I really felt impressed to talk about you tonight, talk with you tonight, because if you are ever going to be the man that God has called you to be, you have got to learn how to hear his voice. If you're ever going to be the father he has called you to be, you've got to learn how to hear his voice. If you no biblical text says that. Uh-uh. We're pointed by Scripture back to the Scripture. You're going to be the son that he's called you to be. You have got to learn to hear the voice of God. No biblical text tells you that you need to learn how to hear the voice of God. Hearing his voice is critical. It's critical, he says. You'll never step into your purpose until you hear his voice. No text says that. You will never do anything great for God until you hear his voice. No text says that either. Mm-hmm. Yep. I would point out that, uh, you know, that many, many well-known theologians never claimed to hear the word of God. You think of Luther and Calvin and others. No, they always heard the word, they always heard the voice of God in the written scriptures. They never claimed to hear audibly from God. Give us some scripture for that, Robert. I'll give you some scripture. Now I'm going to back this up and watch what he does next because this is, this is a demonic twist. Here we go. Until you hear his voice, you will never do anything great for God until you hear his voice. 
Give us some scripture for that, Robert. I'll give you some scripture for that. Come on. Do you remember in the book of Hebrews chapter 11? I love it. It's the Hebrews Hall of Faith. And the writer of Hebrews goes straight ESPN and he starts naming all of these mighty men of God, talking about all the exploits they did. And it says, by faith, Enoch was taken up and did not experience death. And by faith, Abel offered up a better. Now, this is true. What he's saying about uh, Hebrews up to this point is accurate enough sacrifice that came by faith noah built the first titanic and there was no forecast of rain by faith abraham went to a place that god was going to show him any great man that ever did anything great for god he did it by oh bro yeah that's right by faith brothers help me preach tonight he did it by the bible says that without actually hebrews 11 says without faith it's impossible to please god right Trust in God. Faith. That's what faith is. It's impossible to please God. What is faith? Faith is the substance of things hoped for. It is the evidence of things not seen. So far, he's still in Hebrews 11. Faith is important. How do I get faith? Faith comes by jumping up and down in church. Now, so the question before us is, how does one get faith? This is where he's going to get really super sneaky because he's not going to be quoting from Hebrews 11. He's going to be quoting from Romans 10. Oh, no. Faith comes by lifting some weights. No. Oh, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. That means if I'm going to believe that God is who he says he is and can do what he's called me to do, I got to have faith and that faith is predicated upon my ability to hear you got to hear you need and that's not true at all let me explain so you'll note then he was quoting from hebrews 11 hebrews 11 faith is the assurance of things hoped for the conviction of things not seen for by it by faith the people of old received their commendation by faith we understand that the universe was created by the word of god so that what is seen was not made out of the things that are visible by faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which he was commended as righteous, God commending him by accepting his gifts. And through, through his faith, though he died, he still speaks. By faith, Enoch was taken up so that he should not see death, and he was not found because God had taken him. Now before he was taken, he was commended as having pleased God, and without faith, it is impossible to please him. For who would ever draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. So faith is, you know, without it, you can't please God. Now, what he then did is he didn't reference the fact that he was quoting from Romans chapter 10. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God, or you can say by the word of Christ, because actually that's more accurate to what our earliest manuscripts say. But um, let me show you the context of, of what he just quoted, because he said, well, faith comes by hearing, and hearing by uh, the word of, of God, that means it, you have to hear God's voice. <laughs> Romans 10, verse 14, will give us the beginning of our context here, where it says, how then will they call on him whom they have not believed? Paul is kind of asking a question that is basically based upon the previous point that he had made. So verse 11 says, the scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be 
saved. See, that's a great promise. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So then his next question is, well, how then will they call on him whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? Uh Uh-huh. How are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. Note then that the hearing the word of Christ is hearing through the voice of a preacher who is sent to preach the word of God. It's not about you learning how to hear the voice of God, as Robert Madu is saying. No, it's about faith coming by the fact that somebody was sent who is preaching the gospel, preaching the very word of God from Scripture to you, and then faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of Christ. You get the idea here. So what Robert Madu here was just utterly deceptive. He twisted the scriptures, took Romans 10 out of context, uh, in fact, Romans 10, 17 out of context, and tacked it on to uh, Hebrews eleven six, and didn't even tell anybody that he was now quoting from Romans chapter 10. But if you read it in context, because remember, the three rules for sound biblical exegesis are context, context, and context. Put it back into context, and you can see by ripping uh, Romans ten seventeen out of context and tacking it on to the way he was handling Hebrews 11, he now has created the false impression that you need to now hear the voice of God, and you're never going to learn your purpose. You're never going to do anything great for God until you learn how to hear God's voice. That's not what the scripture says. Let me back this up again just a little bit. By the word of God. That means if I'm going to believe that God is who he says he is and can do what he's called me to do, I got to have faith. And that faith is predicated upon my ability to hear. No, it's not. You got to hear. You need to know his voice as much as you know his word. Notice he's making a distinction between the voice of God and the word of God. All scripture is theonoustos, it's God-breathed, and it will equip me for every good work. I hear the voice of God because it's living and active. It was breathed out by God. I hear the voice of God in the written scriptures. See, if you know his word, but you don't know his voice, then you're a Pharisee. Uh, (laughs) So if you know his word, but you don't know his voice, you're a Pharisee. Yeah, this guy doesn't understand the history of the Pharisees. The reason why the Pharisees were wrong was not because of their great knowledge of the Scriptures. It's because they added to the Scriptures. Yeah, they added to the Scriptures the hand-washing and all this kind of... In fact, they had a whole body of work known as the tradition of the elders that they added on to the Scriptures. It's not because they knew the Scriptures. It's because they added to it. Uh Uh-huh. Because the Pharisees knew the word. They had it memorized. No, they had only, they only had a little bit of respect for the Tanakh. They added to it the whole tradition of the elders. But they didn't know his voice. So when he showed up in the flesh, they called Jesus a devil because they didn't know his voice. Yeah, let me see something here. See if I could do this from memory really quick. Mark chapter 7. 
Yeah, so Mark chapter 7, same chapter that he apparently was uh, working with earlier on. Here's what it says. The Pharisees gathered to Jesus with some of the scribes who had come from Jerusalem, and they saw that some of his disciples ate with hands that were defiled, that is, they were unwashed. For the Pharisees and all the Jews did not eat unless they washed their hands properly, holding to the tradition of the elders. It's not that they were followers of Scripture. They They had the written Torah, and they had the oral Torah, known as the tradition of the elders. And so when they came from the marketplace, they don't eat unless they watch. There is no command, by the way, in anything written by Moses or any of the biblical prophets commanding people to wash their hands. That command is in the tradition of the elders. And so they don't eat unless they wash, and there are many other traditions that they observe, such as the washing of cups and pots and copper vessels. And so the Pharisees and the scribes asked Jesus, why do your disciples not walk according to the tradition of the elders? No, it doesn't, they, knows they didn't say, why don't your disciples, uh, you know, how come they don't walk according to what Moses wrote? No, 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 according to the tradition of the elders. Yeah, they added to the Bible. They eat with defiled hands. And so Jesus said, well, did Isaiah prophesy of you, you hypocrites? This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me. And watch what Jesus says. Teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. Uh-huh. So note that the uh, the Pharisees were not sola scriptura guys. They added to the word of God. And as a result of it, they were teaching the commandments of men. So what Robert Madu here just said and let me back this up so that we can listen to it again, that if you don't hear the voice of God, but you know the word of God, well, that makes you a Pharisee. Well, what's fascinating here is that Robert Madu doesn't know his Bible, and he doesn't understand at all what it is that made the Pharisees the Pharisees. Here, You need to know his voice as much as you know his word. See, if you know his word, but you don't know his voice, then you're a Pharisee. Because the Pharisees knew the word. They had it memorized, but they didn't know his voice. So- yeah, the Pharisees added to the scripture, made it void, following the commandments of men. That's what Jesus said. I'm going to go with Jesus on this one rather than you, Robert. When he showed up in the flesh, they called Jesus a devil because they didn't know his voice. On the other hand, if you know his voice, but you don't ground what you hear in the word of God, then you're not a Pharisee, you're a fanatic. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, I think you get the point. No point belaboring this any further. All right. We're up on our first break. If you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so. My email address is talkback at fightingforthefaith.com, or you could subscribe on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash pirate Christian. Follow me on Twitter. My name there at Pirate Christian. Quick break. When we come back, we're going to be heading down to Vu's church as we listen to Don Cherie Wilkerson teach Gnosticism and self-discovery. Stay tuned. Don't want to miss it. We'll be right back. Peter, James, John, and Paul are all dead. That means there are no living apostles in the church today. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. This is the air I breathe. This is the air I breathe. I've had enough of this sissy, frenzy, turning photo written music you have the audacity to call worship. 
Men, put this entire girly praise band in the boo box. Let's wheel in the organ and get some real worship music underway. Ye be listening to Pirate Christian Radio. Holidays, Bird Cage Theatre presents Church Day Select. Thank you for calling Zondervan Dexabot. How can I help you today, sir or ma'am? Ah, so you're having trouble with your copy of the Grimoire of Modern Prayer. That is very unfortunate. Can I please ask for your name first? Ah, your name is Pete Billingham. Well, Mr. Billingham, this is Bob from Connecticut. I would be most pleased to assist you in any way that I can. You are very welcome, sir. Now, what is it about the Grimoire of Modern Prayer that troubles you so? I see. It seems you have opened a black hole in your living room and wish to have it removed. I am dreadfully sorry, but I am not qualified to help in such matters. I will have to transfer you over to my supervisor. Please do not bring my mother into this. I am transferring you now. Hello, and thank you for calling Zonda Detective Board. How can I help you today, sir? I do not know what you mean, sir. My assistant and I are not the same person. I am Jim, Jimmy Jim Jim, Jimmy Jim Jim, from Rancho Cucamonga. I am sorry, sir, but I cannot understand you over the screaming. Did you just say bird in num-nums? Or that your cat was just sucked into the black hole? So very sorry about the little kitty cat. Now, there is something you can try. You can take a piece of pie and throw it into the black hole. I swear to you, it makes complete sense. You see, the black hole is feeding right now, and you need to trick it into thinking that it is full. Be sure not to give it pumpkin. That will only make it more angry. Okay, that didn't work. You have one more chance before we use the emergency destruct procedures. Make yourself a non-fat decaf mocha with no whipped cream, seven pumps of chocolate, and skim milk. I know, why bother? Now, I want you to throw it into the black hole as well. Well, I guess it didn't work either. Maybe we should have used 2%. Please stay calm, sir. You now only have one of two options. Close the book and burn it, or close the book and throw it into the black hole. We're sorry, 
the number you have dialed is not in service at this time. Oh dear, I seem to have lost him. Exactly how do ye know that she be a heretic? She be endorsing the health and wealth heresy. Does he be speaking the truth? Jesus died to make us rich. <laughs> and what exactly do we do with heretics? Oh, uh, we throw them in the boo box. No, no, no. We preach the gospel to them. What if, um, the heretic doesn't repent? Then we throw them in the boo box. <laughs> to err is to heretic. To R is to pirate. Get yourself over to www.piratechristianradio.com forward slash Refermanda and purchase yourself a copy of the game Refermanda and join the fight for the faith today. Hey everyone, it's Rex here to tell you about a product that I use on a daily basis. It's Coffee by Gillespie. It's delicious. It's got the caffeine you need to be a functioning member of society and... It's, it's coffee. There's all sorts of different blends to choose from that are themed alongside the church calendar. So not only does it taste insanely good, but it's also liturgical. Somehow. All you have to do is order it online at gillespie.coffee. And it'll arrive at your door in a convenient, resealable bag filled with either whole bean or pre-ground coffee. I personally like mine as whole bean because it goes so well with milk. Yeah. Yeah, that's what I call a balanced breakfast. So head on over to Gillespie.coffee and get some. That's G-I-L-L-E-S-P-I-E dot coffee. Rex out! Warning, listening to Fighting for the Faith could cause you to think that uh, hearing the voice of God directly is never actually admonished to happen. Yeah, it's not taught in Scripture. Just a reminder, Fighting for the Faith is listener-supported radio. That means we depend upon you and your generous gifts and financial contributions in order to continue to bring Fighting for the Faith to you into the world. And you can partner with us. It is a partnership. Visit our website, fightingforthefaith.com. When you get there, you'll see our three friendly yellow buttons. One says donate. The other says join our crew. The other says become a patron. When you join our crew, you get to pick your rank in our crew. Rank is based upon your monthly commitment. Lowest rank is 
Powder Monkey at $9.95 a month. After that, Gunner's Mate at $24.95 a month. From there, Master Gunner at $49.95 a month, and then Quartermaster $99.95 a month. Joining our crew is a great way to support us. If you would like to become a patron on Patreon, click on the Become a Patron button. If you'd like to make a one-time contribution, click on the Donate button. And if you'd like to support us the traditional way, you can make your gift payable to Fighting for the Faith, and then send it to Post Office Box 13344, Grand Forks, North Dakota, zip code 58208. And let me thank you for your support. We truly cannot do what we are doing here without it. Moving along. I didn't know you were going to start out with it. Looking for a city built above. Looking for a city where we'll never die. Where the same in millions never say goodbye. There we'll meet our Savior. And our love was true. Come, our Holy Spirit. All right, so uh, we're going to be doing a Don Cherie Wilkerson update. Yeah, I just reached into my grab bag of update music and chose the worst one that I can find. Uh, in in honor of the fact that uh, what we're going to be hearing from John, Don Cherie Wilkerson is uh, a little bit of Gnosticism mixed in with a little bit of the uh, so-called Passion Translation mixed in with some absolutely egregious Bible twisting. And uh, and in the end, what we get is a Gnostic cocktail of self-discovery, all based upon something apparently A.W. A. Tozer taught rather than what the Bible teaches, and it's just a hot mess. And I think she's wearing pajamas to boot. Uh, so let's get to it. We're heading over to Vu's Church. Here is Don Cherie Wilkerson <laughs> and the Seven Keys to Self-Discovery. Here we go. Tonight, we're kicking off a brand new collection. I am so excited about this collection. Seven rules for... Yeah, a new collection. They're no longer called sermon series anymore, yeah. The uh, the purpose-driven, seeker-driven set now calls them collections, yeah. I've heard this term used several times now. Self-discovery. And really, these thoughts come from the great theologian, the great pastor, A.W. Tozer. Now, I don't care how good the theologian is. If what they're saying isn't biblical, it's not true. This would include A.W. Tozer. Uh, and so if we can't find these seven rules for self-discovery, as laid out by A.W. Tozer in the Bible, and the Bible rightly taught, then A.W. Tozer is wrong. Maybe you're familiar with that name, maybe not. But what I can tell you is that the wisdom that he speaks is going to speak to your heart. He gives us seven rules, seven things for us to contemplate. And we're going to dive deep into these thoughts over the next few weeks. I'm excited. To- is she wearing pajamas? 
What is she wearing exactly? I have this experience with you as we discover more about who God's created us to be. When we say self-discovery, I'm not talking about what you have on or what just your immediate plans are because yourself far outlasts this life. Now, listen carefully to what she's about to say here. Yourself far outlasts life. What self are you talking about? Watch what she does here. We'll do some biblical work along the way, but let me back this up just a smidge. I'm not talking about what you have on or what just your immediate plans are because yourself far outlasts this life. Once my body is gone and once I breathe my last breath, my true self, my soul will just be getting started. Yeah, um, Don Shuri, I just have to ask the question. Um, when you went to seminary, did did you go to seminary? Uh, when you went to seminary, didn't they tell you that we are going to live as resurrected human beings for all of eternity? Yeah, you, you see, Jesus, he rose bodily from the grave. Right, yeah, on the third day after he was crucified uh, under Pontius Pilate, he rose bodily from the grave. He's the first fruits of the resurrection, the firstborn of the new creation. Yeah, and so the idea is is that Christianity, biblical Christianity, teaches that, uh, yeah, that we will experience eternity with physical bodies. Yeah, so First uh, Thessalonians four thirteen. Uh, uh, we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, so that you may not be grieved as others who do not have who have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, he rose bodily from the grave. Even so, through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. Talking about those who have died in Christ. Uh, for this we declare to you by a word from the Lord that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord will not precede those who have fallen asleep, for the Lord himself will descend from heaven with the cry of command and the voice of an archangel and with the sound of the trumpet, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. So, so the idea is that moving forward, um, when Christ returns, we get resurrected from the grave and we spend eternity as human beings. And so you'll note that Don Cherie here was teaching that my true self is my soul, and somehow I'm my after my body is long gone, my soul's going to carry on? Yeah, that's ridiculous. A couple of passages will help here also uh, in regard to our creation. Uh, Genesis chapter 1, uh, in the overview section of creation, Genesis chapter 1 says... God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over over the earth and every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him male and female. He created them. Yeah, you'll note that we were created in the image of God and the fact that we were made male and female talks to our physicality. Now, chapter 2 gives us more of the details of our creation, 
And here's what it says, starting at verse 5 of chapter 2. When no bush of the field was yet in the land, and no small plant of the field had yet sprung up, for Yahweh Elohim, the Lord God, had not yet caused it to rain on the land, and there was no man to work the ground, and the mist was going up from the land and was watering the whole face of the ground. Then Yahweh Elohim, uh, the Lord God, formed the man of the dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living soul, a nefesh, a creature. And Yahweh Elohim planted a garden in Eden, and there he put the man whom he had formed out of the ground, and the Lord God made to spring up every tree that is pleasant in the sight and good for food. So you get the idea here that uh, when God created us, he created us male and female, and he created us body first, Then he breathed into us the breath of life, and we became a living nefesh, a living soul. And this is all good, by the way. In fact, at the end of Genesis chapter 1, it says, And God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was tov meod. That means very good. And there was evening and there was morning the sixth day. So you'll note that we were created with bodies. We were never intended, and and I mean this, never intended to exist with apart from our bodies. And so we are comprised of a spirit. We are comprised of a body. The two combined together in one hypostasis is the one person who you are. To, uh, to rip the soul from the body is, well, that results in death. And God, uh, you know, has not intended for us to exist in that way. And your true self is not somehow different than your person, and your person is intimately connected to everything that God has created, body and soul, the two go together, and we're not going to exist as spirits for all of eternity. When Christ returns, our souls and bodies are reunited, and we have an eternal body that is like Christ's body. That's the point. So uh, Gnosticism taught that the spirit is good and that matter is bad. And Gnosticism was one of the first arch enemies of biblical Christianity. In, uh, and it denied the bodily resurrection of Christ, denied that, 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 the, Messiah, that the, the anointed one, the Christos, ever was physically on the earth. And, you know, and so this idea that somehow your true self is spiritual apart from your physicality, that is... A, Again, this is Gnosticism, Patrick. I That's the only way I can put this. Let me back this up so you can hear it again. The plans are because yourself far outlasts this life. Once my body is gone and once I breathe my last breath, my true self, my soul, will just be getting started. Because all of us were... E- yeah, that, that's Gnosticism right there. Eternal beings. And so when we say self-discovery, we're talking about soul discovery. We're talking about the real stuff. And how many of you know that that begins with salvation? That the first step to soul discovery... The first step to soul discovery is salvation. Is there a biblical text... That says that. I'm not familiar with that. And I think those are pajamas. Is entrusting your life to Jesus and all of a sudden this brand new life, it unfolds before us. And so today we're going to discover together what God's word says about self-discovery. If you have your Bibles, why don't you turn with me? What exactly does God's word say about self-discovery? To Psalm chapter 37. 
Psalm 37. Great self-discovery psalm, apparently. We're reading from the Passion Translation. I, <clears throat> yeah, so uh, let me just kind of put that put this out there. If anybody is attending a church where the pastor says, we're going to be reading this text from the Passion Translation, it's not a translation, folks. It is an abomination. It is not even remotely close to what God's Word says in the original language. It's not even close. So John Cherie Wilkerson is preaching, which she shouldn't be doing because God's Word forbids her from doing this, from the so-called Passion Translation. All I can say is run. Run for your life. If you are a loser, you need to run for your life. You are being taught heresy. It's beautiful. It simply reads this. Keep trusting in the Lord. Do what is right in His eyes. Fix your heart on the promises of God, and you will be secure. How many of you would say, that's my desire. I want to be secure. Feasting on His faithfulness. Make God the utmost delight and pleasure of your life, and He will provide for you what you desire the most. Give God the right to direct your life. What? I have to give God the right to direct my life? Uh, What kind of God is that? Apparently God isn't sovereign, and I need to give him the right to direct my life. That's just weird right there. So let's take a look at Psalm 37, verses 3 through 7, and you'll see that this isn't even remotely close to what this text is saying. Psalm 37, verse 3, Trust in Yahweh, trust in the Lord, and do good. Dwell in the land, and befriend faithfulness. Delight yourself in Yahweh, and He will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to Yahweh. Trust in Him, and He will act. He will bring forth your righteousness as the light, and your justice as the noonday. Be still before Yahweh, and wait patiently for Him. Fret not yourself over the one who prospers in his way, over the man who carries out evil devices. And I read that from the ESV, which is a good English translation. Every English translation has its strengths and its weaknesses, but the ESV doesn't engage in any kind of egregious nonsense like the so-called passion translation. It's not a translation. That passion translation, Brian Simmons, I mean, just... Abominable. He's a you know, he's an NAR, New Apostolic Reformation, bizarre, charismatic person, and we've covered him before. You can find the stuff that we've talked about uh, regarding him in the uh, on our channel. Search for Simmons, and you'll see that. But um, yeah, I'm not sure what Don Cherie is uh, talking about here. But there's nothing in Psalm 37 that says we have to give God the right to direct our lives. Yeah, this is, again, a total train wreck. Pleasure of your life. And he will provide for you what you desire the most. Give God the right to direct your life. And as you trust him along the way, you'll find he pulled it off perfectly. He will appear as... He he pulled it off perfectly. Yeah, there's nothing even remotely accurate about the passion... Translation. It ain't a translation. Your righteousness, as sure as the dawning of a new day, 
He will manifest as your justice, as sure and strong as the noonday sun. Quiet your heart in his presence and pray. Keep hope alive as you long for God to come through for you. How many of you believe that promise for your life? Come on, let's put our... I don't believe any of that, that because that's not what Psalm 37 verses 3 through 7 says. hands together tonight. I want to take the next few moments to just talk. Yeah, I, I think those are pajamas. To you on this thought, most wanted. Will you bow your heads and pray with me? Lord, right. thank you so much. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to pause right there. We'll fast forward just a little bit. She'll tell a life story about her and her dad and how spontaneous he was. And, and, and she'll kind of wrap up with this anecdotal story about um, a trip that they were taking. And their parents, her parents allowed her to make the decision as to their destination. It has everything to do apparently with what the Bible says about, you know, self-discovery. Because the Bible doesn't talk about self-discovery, but we continue. But one of the most memorable moments of my childhood was a weekend that my parents said, hey, we're going to go on a trip, so pack your bags. And we got in the car and we started driving down I-20 in Louisiana. And as we drove down the interstate going pretty fast, they said, okay, where do you want to go? I said, what do you mean? They said, well, we're either going to Dallas or we're going to Houston. And it's up to you guys. So let's choose. And as we sped down the interstate, we had to make a decision of what we wanted the most. And there were a lot of opinions and we went back and forth. But then we decided what we wanted the most. And we went that direction and it dictated our destination. Can I tell you that life is a lot like that? That, that we are moving forward in time. Every second that is passing, we are moving forward in our own lives. And we don't get to call a timeout. We don't get to stop and say, hey, can time stand still while I figure out the order of my values in life? While I figure out what motivates me? While I figure out what matters the most? No, while is, while life moves forward, we have to decide as we move forward with it, what matters the most. And as we decide what matters the most, how many of you know? We have to decide what matters the most. That sounds pretty subjective as far as standards are concerned. It dictates our direction and it dictates our destination. We all have desires in our heart and they are dictating the very trajectory of your life, of your family, of your marriage, of your purpose. What is most wanted in your life? The first rule for self-discovery According, according to A.W. Tozer, is what you want the most. Um, what? <laughs> uh, does Tozer not recognize that we have a sinful nature and that bad things come out of our heart and our <laughs> sinful nature? Yeah, uh, I think I'm going to take a look at a passage that uh, Jesus, you know, where Jesus talked about this in Matthew chapter 15, it, Jesus talks about the things that defile a person. And, um, he, here's what he said. I'll start at verse 17. Cause this is at the tail end of a, of a whole teaching section by Christ, but you'll get the point. He says, do you not see that what goes into the mouth passes into the stomach and is expelled? So it's not what you eat that, uh, defiles you, but it's what comes out of the mouth 
that proceeds from the heart, and this is what defiles a person. For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, slander. These are what defile a person, but to eat with unwashed hands does not defile anyone. So you'll note here that in this teaching, Jesus makes it clear that out of our heart come these evil desires. And so just kind of throwing it out there that um, this first rule of self-discovery, what do you want the most, is not a, a helpful question at all because what I might want the most is something that is actually quite evil or sinful because out of my heart, out of your heart, come all kinds of evil desires. What is this teaching? Gnosticism and some weird... Whatever it is that I want the most is supposedly going to help me on my discovery of self. Uh Uh-huh. He goes on to say that all of us should get quiet, recollect our thoughts, wait for the mild excitement within us to subside, and then listen closely for the faint cry of desire. What? What? Okay. He goes on to say, you can ask your heart what it would have over everything else in the world. I'm not going to talk to my heart because my heart, that's the place where the evil desires come from. Where in Scripture am I told to talk and listen to my heart? Insist on truth. Reject what you think your culture, church, or family would have you say. When you know what you truly want... You will know what kind of person you are. Hopefully we're comparing our desires to the Ten Commandments. Because then you'll know what kind of real person you are. Uh, You know, what kind of person you really are when you do that. What's he saying? He's saying, hey, don't just regurgitate what the, the other people around you are. Yeah, I'm pretty sure those are pajamas. We're saying you're not being honest with what you really want. If you really want to have self-discovery, if you really want to discover the... Do I really want self-discovery? Where in the Bible am I taught to want and desire self-discovery? Contents of your soul and the direction that your life is taking, then you've got to be honest with your deepest desires. What do you want the most? So your homework this week is get quiet. I, I, you're giving me a homework assignment to get quiet. Recollect your thoughts. Yeah. Allow the Holy Spirit to dig into the deep waters of your soul. <laughs> Why should I believe that if I get quiet and recollect my thoughts, that all of a sudden the Holy Spirit's going to show up and go into the deep waters of my soul? Huh? To reveal to you what you value the most. What matters the most to you? Because it's only when you understand what matters the most to you that you will be un- be able to understand and foresee the direction that your life is taking. Yeah, Psalm 37 didn't say that. Do you have a biblical text that says these things? But before you have that moment of reflection, I think it's important for us to define what it means to want. Sure, yeah, let's add some more murkiness to this muddy 
mess already. Okay. The definition for want is the desire to possess. And possess simply means to have as belonging for you to actually own. Which biblical Greek or Hebrew word are we talking about here? So when we say, what do you want the most? What do you desire to possess the most? What do you want? See, that very question is the first words of Jesus in the book of John. In John chapter 1, verse 38, Jesus says, what do you want? As if to speak straight to the longing of our soul. What? (laughs) This is absurd. Okay, hang on a second here. Gospel of John chapter 1. Let me find this real quick here. Verse 38. So, yep, all of chapter 1 of the Gospel of John, Jesus hasn't spoken yet. Um, Let's apply our three rules for sound biblical exegesis, which are context, context, and context. And um, here's what it says. John 1.35. So the next day, again, John, this is John the Baptist, was standing with two of his disciples And he looked at Jesus as he walked by, and he said, Behold, the Lamb of God. And the two disciples heard him say this, and they followed Jesus. Jesus turned and saw them following and said to them, "Um, uh, What are you seeking? Okay, so, uh, so this could be translated as what do you want. That's one of the translations that's possible for T. Um, what are you seeking? Whom are you seeking? Would be another uh, way you can translate this. Um, so <laughs> let's just go with uh, her translation. What do you want? And uh, we'll keep reading. And so they said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? And he said to them, come and you will see. So they came and saw where he was staying, and they stayed with him that day for it was about the 10th hour. Mm-hmm. It said one of the two heard John speak, followed Jesus, and it was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his own brother, um, Simon, and said to him, we have found the Messiah, which means the Christ. And he brought him to Jesus, and Jesus looked at him and said, you are Simon, the son of John. You shall be called Cephas. So this has to do with the calling of Jesus' disciples. And even if you translate that uh, if you translate it as what do you want, it's not talking about what Don Cherie Wilkerson just said. Let me back this up and you'll see that now that we see it in context. Watch how she makes a big to-do about these are the first words of Jesus in the Gospel of John, but she just rips it out of context so in order to make it mean something that it's not meaning at all here. Desire to possess the most. What do you want? See that very question. I, I want to not have to see those pajamas anymore. question is the first words of Jesus in the book of John. In John chapter 1 verse 38. Jesus says, what do you want? As if to speak straight to the longing of our soul, to cut through the facade that all of us portray and say, hey. No, Jesus wasn't cutting through the longing of our soul. Hi. What I'm really after is your deepest desire. Because I. 
No. <laughs> that is not what Jesus was asking them Tizateata, what what that was about. What on earth? I can give my life. You can find an empty grave, but it's only when you choose that you desire me, that you love me, that you want me, that you will discover a brand new life. Come on, does anybody believe it tonight? No. I don't believe a word you're saying, Don Cherie. Because you twisted God's word horribly every time you touched it, and you even taught one of the core principles of Gnosticism. So what'd you think? Love to get your feedback. If you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so. My email address is talkback at fightingforthefaith.com or you can subscribe on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash pirate Christian. Follow me on Twitter. My name there at pirate christian till tomorrow may god richly bless you in the grace and mercy won by jesus christ his vicarious death on the cross for all of your sins amen